Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. To minister this morning. Jesus, we thank you for the beautiful words that we get to sing as a reminder of truth. That you are a faithful redeemer. And your mercies are new every morning. And that is good news for us. It's good news when um, the day is hard for many of us. It's good to be reminded, actually, that um, you have the final say. That you have the final word. That no matter what we experience in this life, that there is still hope. And there is still renewal coming. So, Jesus, I thank you for those reminders this morning in our songs. And I pray, Jesus, that your spirit would pour out on us, that we would be fearless this morning and courageous to seek after you in ways we haven't, to seek your spirit and to pursue the things of the kingdom that you've invited us into and taught us along the way. Um, and for, Lord, I pray for our church today. I pray for those that are suffering, that they would uh, have hearts mended, those that are sick, they would experience healing. Uh, God, I pray for the community that's not here that we want to reach. I just pray you bless them, God. Have mercy on them, God, as they stand in judgment. Would we fight for them and stand in the gap on their behalf and say, not them, but us. I pray for hearts to break for the lost as we live here and, and, and just not show up for a venue, God, but show up as the body of Christ, as your body, your hands, your feet for this community. Bless this morning as we... Um, as we talk about prayer. In your name, amen. A couple years ago, I uh, went to the hospital, not for myself, but I went to go visit my friend Larry. Larry was a a really cool friend. I met him the first day we started an event in Long Beach. We were the Long Beach Project. This was over five years ago. And we were doing a prayer night. And Larry comes up to me, and eager, if you knew Larry, he was very eager um, and excited. And he said, hey, Darren, do you have anyone to do lyrics? And at the time, I had no idea what lyrics meant. Um, he's like, do you have a projector and a, TV, a screen? And do you have, you know, the, the run sheet for all the worship music? And I was 23, and we, we had like maybe 10 people coming to this prayer gathering. And I was not thinking about a projector and lyrics. But Larry just so happened to have a computer and a projector and a projector screen in his trunk for this prayer gathering. And from that, from that day on, he became our lyrics person. And uh, he never missed a Sunday until uh, I, I made him miss a Sunday. and said, you have to Sabbath, because I was taking weekends off, and he wasn't for years. He was just doing the lyrics. But anyways, I went to the hospital to, to see him because he had a brain aneurysm. Um, and uh, I, I remember getting there, and, and Greg Frankemandera, which pr- pretty much he's one of the guys that greeted all of you um, on, on your way in. He's one of our elders. He was there. He was Larry's community group leader. But Larry was about to go through brain surgery um, for this aneurysm. And I remember praying for him. God heal Larry. God heal Larry. Um, And Larry died. Larry died. And I had to do that funeral, that memorial service, which was amazing. Truly amazing experience. But God didn't heal Larry then. And then I was at the hospital a couple of weeks ago. And I've shared a little bit of this with you for my son. And uh, he got a virus, and it moved. It became more complicated, and the virus, uh, you know, 
is fairly common, but when left untreated, especially for infants, it can be deadly. And so he was struggling to breathe for a few days. And we didn't even know how serious it was until a couple of days in. I still thought I was going to come and preach on Sunday. We were in the hospital through Sunday. Um, and I remember um, praying for my boy, Ezra. He was seven weeks old. And I just prayed, God, heal my boy. And I have been to the hospital a bunch, guys. Um, if you don't know my story, my wife has suffered with a heart, heart condition. She was in the ER our first few years of marriage. When we moved here, she was, I mean, just constantly going to the hospital. It became a regular routine. And if, for those of you that don't know, I used to have a phobia of hospitals. But when you become a pastor, you can't have a phobia of pa- hospitals. Unfortunately, you have to show up to the hospital. Um, this time I was there with my son. And I don't think I've ever prayed harder I don't think I've ever prayed without ceasing until this moment where the prayer, you know, God heal Ezra is coming out through tears. And um, I don't know, you know, how you pray in desperate situations. I was on my knees. I was fasting. I was just demanding God to show up. Have you ever done that? Have Have you ever been in like the desperate situation where you're just like, God, you have to show up. You, you just got to be true to what you say you are. Like, I'm pulling out every freaking scripture. Excuse me. Every. <laughs> we can say that. He doesn't care. I wasn't so polite when I was praying for my son, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and God, whether God healed Ezra, whether it was through medicine, the multiple antibiotics, or the, the breathing treatments, the cords that wrapped around his body, I mean. I don't know, you know, whether it was the medicine or the medical treatment, or, you know, or if it was God, but God answered that prayer. And God didn't heal my friend Larry, but God healed my son. And they're totally different conditions. But have you, have you ever prayed? If so, how, how do you pray? Have you ever prayed for someone and it didn't turn out the way you'd hoped? Have you ever been in that situation? And a question I get as, as a pastor, and a question that I ask all the time, is why does God answer some prayers and not others? And I'm not here to preach on that, because the answer is, I don't know. I don't know why He heals some people and doesn't heal others. I don't know why uh, I can pray for somebody here in, in a moment, see amazing anxiety and depression lifted overnight. And then I can pray for loved ones in my life every single day and nothing changes. I don't know why. But what I do know is that we're called to pray. And I want to talk about prayer. And um, you see, for those of you that have ever gone through this experience where you've prayed for somebody or something and it didn't turn out the way you'd hoped, um, I want to just reveal some of the stories of, of Jesus. Because... Uh, there's some stories in, in the scriptures that will help us along the way today as we talk about what prayer looks like. So Luke chapter 22, we're going to start in 22 and go to Luke 11. We're in the Gospel of Luke, we're looking at major themes along the way. And last week, Bill talked about the sower and the kingdom of God, um, looking at what it means to be at many levels. It's really not the, the parable of the sower, but the parable of the four different types of soils. And that at any point when the word is preached, when God is speaking to us, we are at various times, different types of soil. And God wants us to be the type of soil that produces a crop that's a hundredfold. That's what it means to receive the kingdom. It's basically when those get it, the kingdom of God, it's unstoppable. 
That's what that, that message Today we're going to talk about prayer. So chapter 22, uh, it's the end of the gospel. Jesus is about to be crucified, and he goes, it's verse 39, 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus prays. And essentially, the first part of this prayer is, is there some other way? It's almost as there's this brutal honesty that Jesus reveals. God, I don't want to go through this. There's got to be another plan here. That's what he's praying. Take this from me. Take this cup from me. I don't want to go through the cross. I don't want to go through suffering. He's, he's getting to the end. He knows what's coming. And he's praying an honest prayer to the Father. There's got to be another way. And that's the first part of the prayer. But then the second part is, well, it seems like this is the only way. There's no other, there's no other way. So it's not about my will, God, but it's about your will. I'm up for whatever you have for me. I'm up for whatever you have for me, God, because it's about you. Essentially, this is what Jesus prays. Do you remember when we talked about Mary, when we started this series, when the the angel comes before Mary and announces to this peasant girl from the middle of nowhere who's probably 12 or 13 years old that the Messiah, the Son of God, the Holy One, is going to be born through her and that the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow her and she's going to have this epic kind of birth story, but she's betrothed to Joseph and that in that context she could be stoned. She'll face a life of humiliation and shame. And the angel says, you know, this is what's going to happen. And her response, you remember what her response was? Let's do this. I'm up for it. You see, there's a way of living in the world in which you are open for what God is doing. And I think prayer is a way of living open to what God has for us. Prayer is living, is a way of living open to what God has for us. You see, I also think prayer is about joining God in the work He has for us in this world. Are you with me? I want to talk about those two things. So, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is revealed as a man of the Holy Spirit. But he's also a man of prayer. It says in Luke chapter 3 that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then then he begins his ministry. And he's baptized. The Heavenly Father says to him that you are my son, my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. In Luke chapter 4, he goes where he fasts for 40 days. And in prayer and fasting, he, he defeats the temptation and opposition of the enemy. Later on in Luke chapter 4, he is uh, uh, in in the power of the Holy Spirit, and through his prayer, miraculous things happen. Um, In Luke chapter uh, 5, Jesus faces all this success in ministry. He goes around doing what he said he would do, casting out demons, healing the sick. Crowds begin to form and follow him. But every time the crowds come, the very next chapter, Luke will record that he withdraws from the crowd and finds a solitude place where he prays to be alone with God. He is a man of prayer. In Luke chapter 6, before he chooses his disciples, Jesus prays all night, it says. And why why would he pray all night? Well, I think he's discerning and asking the Father for wisdom to help him decide who should be his disciples. You ever think about that? That Jesus is, is receiving wisdom and guidance. In the Gospel of John, he'll say, I only do what the Father is doing. How did, how did he develop that type of 
lifestyle? Was it just because he was God? Or did he learn how to listen to the voice within him that was the Spirit and the Father whispering to him the right things? When he heals some people at the pool of Bethesda, Bethesda, excuse me, and there's a ton of sick people, but he chooses one, that is power, but that's also discernment. And he learned it in, I think, his understanding of what prayer is. And so for Jesus, prayer was being open to the God who is at work here and now. But to be open to that creative power means you have to be honest. And so for Jesus, as he says, uh, is there any other way? Do, do I, can I drink a different cup, basically? He's being brutally honest, but still offering it to be God, but not my way, your way. Are you with me? Luke chapter 11. So, prayer. How do we then pray? What are, what are the ways we get to pray? And we've talked about prayer. We pray every Sunday. We pray. There's all sorts of types. There are all different types of prayer. There's contemplation. There's, there's journal prayers. There's silence. There's conversational prayer. There's, um, uh, there's inner healing prayer. There's deliverance prayer. There are literally books and books and all different types of prayer. And I just want to talk through the way Jesus teaches prayer and just share with you some of my thoughts and experiences Along, along the way. So, verse 11, chapter 1. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Was that you, Alyssa, again? Seriously, Alyssa? I don't, know, I, I don't even know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. You did set my slides up. Thank you for that. Solid volunteer, Alyssa. And Darren in the back doing slides. They always complain when I teach I have more slides than Bill. Way more slides than Bill. I think that's a good thing. It just means I prepared more than him, you know? <laughs> just kidding. I was just joking about this, but what's true, and I'm glad, because Bill's not going to podcast this, but I, I think I've heard Bill <laughs> preach the sower, the message he preached last week, at least five times in my lifetime. And so he doesn't have to write notes. That guy has preached that sermon probably 400 times in his life of ministry. No joke. He's that old. But anyways, <laughs> one day... <laughs> Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished. One of his disciples said, all right, pay attention. This is the word of the Lord. Um, when he finished, one of them said, come on. <laughs> oh, I love Bill. Is, Bill. is Bill a gift to our community? I mean, such a blessing. To, I mean, I remember when we were going to plan our church. I was, 20, I was just turning 25, and we are just about to launch our church. And I was thinking about how young I was because I was super insecure about it. And I was like sitting at coffee, um, and I was like, Bill, what would you think about just coming and helping us plant this church? Maybe just for a couple of months. And it's been four years that he's been with us. So it's been great that he said yes to that. Verse 1. When he finished, one of his uh, disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Then he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So Jesus is asked by his disciples after praying. It says again that he's praying. So Jesus prayed. Therefore, we should pray, right? Okay, easy. That's an easy statement. I'll just put that as point number one. Jesus prayed. Therefore, you pray. Um, but he's asked by his disciples. Remember, disciple. to be a disciple is to become like your rabbi. So it's not just, oh, teach us this formula to get things done because they've already been sent out. They've already casted out demons. They've already healed the sick. They're already doing what Jesus did. Luke is just recording another example of how Jesus is a rabbi teaching his disciples to become like him. And so he, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And notice this is a little different than the previous Lord's Prayer that you might have read in um, Matthew's Gospel. But he says, Father, 
Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, this wasn't a fixed prayer. This was an outline that was to be filled in with your own words. And it, it, it's kind of modeled after a Jewish benediction, a traditional Jewish benediction. And there are a lot of similarities. But in the Jewish benediction, what you find is a long doxology that's full of proclaiming God's attributes and character and power and sovereignty. The Lord's Prayer is bolder because it addresses God in a very intimate way. And it doesn't include all of his attributes, and it goes straight into specific personal requests. And I want to talk about this for a minute. If we want to, get, if we want to know what prayer is about and what it's like, we have to recognize that Jesus first says, when you pray, pray, Father. And um, you've heard of this, but in Aramaic, the word Father is, is Abba, which is a, a phrase that a child will have in his household for his dad, and it's like saying uh, Papa or Daddy. It's usually the first word that a child learns in, in, um, in an Aramaic home or in the ancient Near East. And uh, it, it's also a word that a disciple would use for his respected teacher. It's a sign of intimacy and reverence. And, and brother, guys, this was, this was revolutionary. To the Jew, uh, you would address God in a more formal way. Adding those attributes, you know, those, just proclaiming his name to be a specific name. And so for, for a Jew listening, to address the creator of the universe in, in an intimate way like a child says, Daddy, that's revolutionary. That's never been done. But I'll even go one step further because Jesus is also, Luke is writing to a context that is pagan. And so to the pagan, uh, the way you address the deities and the different gods is by conjuring um, and, and using all sorts of formalized language to uh, kind of like a lottery, I suppose. You would, if you wanted to pray, you would pray to the specific different gods that had different powers and domains. So if you wanted something, if you wanted your crops to rain, or rain for your crops, the crops to rain, if you wanted rain for your crops, you would pray to the god of rain, and, and you would use all sorts of formalized language because your perspective of the pagan gods w- was this. They, they weren't interested. And to get an answer for, from the God of rain or the God of sun or, or the God of, of prosperity and wealth and trade, you would have to bring all sorts of sacrifices and all sorts of things. And, and your prayers, we have ancient writings of different people praying, and they're long and lengthy and exhausting. And it's like they're, praying, they're playing a lotto game where they're hoping to get an answer. Um, and most likely they're not going to because their understanding of the gods is that they're just uninterested or they're angry. Um, and still to this day, there are religions that believe this. Uh, when I was in India, uh, I, there was a great story. I love this story. There was a woman who went to the Bible college, and she became a church planner and a pastor. After one year, she was equipped by Harvest India, our friend Suresh, who comes here and ministers. We're going to eventually take a trip there. But uh, this woman uh, went back to her village, and it was a Hindu village. Everyone was Hindu. And uh, she, what happens is that, that each village kind of has their own god. There are millions of gods in the Hindu religion. And the way you, want, you, wait, the way you interact with these gods is you bring sacrifices, you bring your prayer, you bring your finances. And then when you're really poor, your sacrifices and your finances have, are, are basically like rice. 
and eggs from a chicken. So people in the village, if they got sick, they would bring their, their rice or their eggs, and they would come to the, the, the temple and offer it to this Hindu god, whatever the god was. It was the most accessible god to them, I suppose, because there's millions of gods all over. Um, and maybe it's a snake god of some sort that has to do with this. And I, I forget what this particular one was. Um, but people would bring their stuff, and they would, they would hope to get an answer, and oftentimes that wouldn't happen. Now, this is what this woman does. She went back to her village. And she began to go, uh, she began to, go uh, to hut to hut and um, pray for people. And people started getting healed. And, I mean, very small at first, she said. People would be healed of colds or, or uh, the flu or any type of you know, dehydration, stuff like that. But people were getting physically healed. And um, they began to see her little hut, her home, as a shrine to some foreign god. And they began to bring her sacrifices and offerings, trying to conjure this god to do something. And she rejected all of the offerings because she said, our god, the one true god, died so that you don't have to do anything. The whole village became Christian. That's happening right now in rural parts of India. Absolutely amazing. But this is what Jesus does. It's so revolutionary. When you come to God, you come like a a child sitting on his dad's lap. I don't care what kind of dad you have. We're talking about the best possible human relationship you've ever experienced, the most loving relationship. This is how you approach God. Oh, good news. We don't have to earn our way to have an answer. Jesus says, address him as father. That's revolutionary. And then he goes on and he says, um, uh, so Jesus begins by modeling a prayer that's about a conversation with an intimate relationship. Um, so then he says, hallowed be your name. In other words, let it be sanctified or let it be set apart and holy. Um, and again, this is just a way of, uh, of thinking about how we ought to pray. And he says, your kingdom come, your reign come. Uh, and we've talked about the kingdom of God, but Jesus is saying, uh, may, may your uh, God's way of life become reality in this life. That's our prayer. So prayer becomes about partnering with God and bringing his way of life on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying that when we pray, we are joining with God in the work he has for us and the work he's desiring to happen. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. What are the areas in your life or in your relationships, or in your homes, or in your workplace, or in the city, that God's way is not reality. Is it hard to think about this thing? Where do you see suffering? Where do you see injustice? Where do you see lostness? Where do you see uh, pain, hurting? Where do you see uh, wrongs that need to be made right? In those areas, God is, Jesus is teaching us and inviting us to pray God's way into those systems, into those relationships, into your life, that your life will begin to look like God's way of life. That's what Jesus is doing. He's inviting us to have that type of re, um, resource in our prayer life. Do you believe in that? How many of you pray that way? How many of you, when you walk into the hospital... Walk in with the recognition that Jesus has given you everything you need. He has resourced you with the power of the kingdom of God to bring that kingdom into that waiting room as a person of peace, as a person of joy, as a person of faith that says God has the final say. That's what he wants to train you to do. To walk into uh, a broken marriage and stand with conviction of God's sovereignty and restoring power, and love, and grace. 
when things don't look anything like that. To walk into a workplace where there's nothing but gossip and slander and pain and suffering and broken relationships and be the person that extends God's way of life. This is what Jesus is teaching us to do in our prayer life wherever we go. Are you with me? Hallowed be your name. Uh, he says, give us today our daily bread. Um, and the translation is it's almost better to say, give us our essential bread. Um, uh, what, what we need to survive. And it's a recognition that God is the sustainer of life. And for most of us, we have such excess that we would never need to pray this prayer. Why would we ever pray for essential bread when we have storage units full of plenty of stuff that can get us by? It's learning to pray. Prayer is learning to recognize um, that God is our sustainer, but also um, it's learning to be thankful for everything. I think one of the best postures in our prayer, right here, Nick, your phone's right there. Thank you. It's cool. Um, Glad it can be of some service up here for you. <laughs> just kidding. Love you, Nick. Um, but prayer is, is, is learning to just receive and then be, be thankful back to God and learning to actually, I think prayer teaches us to learn what to ask for as we begin to engage in these things. Uh, and then he, he says, lead us not into temptation, recognizing that this is a, a spiritual world. We, in many ways, I believe, we lead ourselves into temptation. Asking God to lead us not into temptation is to recognize that we, it's not hard to tempt ourselves. Amen? It's hard to fight against it. But we also live in a spiritual world where there are powers and principalities working against you becoming fully devoted to Jesus. And there are demons and there are assignments that they have against us. I don't believe that demons under every rock. I don't believe every sickness is demonic. But as you go along the book of Luke, you're seeing that he is opposing the spiritual world that is opposing God's kingdom. That's what Jesus does. And he teaches us to engage in bringing God's kingdom, not the kingdom of darkness, into this place. And it starts with our lives. Amen? Let's keep going because I'm really excited about this next stuff. So a couple of thoughts just on this. First of all, prayer is about intimacy. It's about relationship. Prayer is about partnering with God and the work he has for us. How cool is that? Oh, it's so, that's a great, great line. Our, our prayer, our, you know, our vision is to partner with God in the renewal of all things because we see that he's invited us in to a dynamic relationship where we are resourced to actually do something. We don't just sing songs on Sunday. We're filled with the Spirit, not so that we have a funny, fuzzy, warm feeling, but so that we can go out and do the things that Jesus did. Good? All right. Uh, prayer is a cry for the kingdom. Oh, we, we, uh, it literally is a cry. When I'm in the hospital, when I'm sitting with couples that are going through chaos, the, the prayer is, God, your way here. I don't even know what it looks like. Your way here. Prayer is about honesty. It's learning to pray like Jesus is to say, um, I don't want to do this, but it's about being formed into what God wants for you. It's about being honest. Prayer is about a conversation with a loving Father. Are we good? Um, okay, so Luke chapter 5. He goes on. Chap- excuse me, chapter 11. And he goes on. So he, he gives us this kind of outline, not like a formula to just practice. It's great to pray this prayer. It's a brilliant thing to pray and add to your daily life. But it's really a way to um, help you articulate um, prayers to God. Uh, this is a complete side note. How many of you struggle with prayer? Let's just be honest. That's part one. Let's just keep our hands up. Okay. So here's, here's some quick advice so we can just jump in and we can get this out of the way. 
I used to struggle with prayer. Um, I don't anymore. I struggle with prayer actually every day, but that's for various reasons. But to jump in, how do we jump into prayer? Here's, here's my advice to you. Grab a journal, wake up every morning, read one verse, right? Tell God what you're thankful for out loud, if you can, or just say it in your mind. And then start prayer by journaling what's on your heart. Just start with whatever it is on your heart. God, I'm stressed out about the test I have today. Uh, you don't even have to use full sentences. Uh, God, I, I just pray for my wife. And then just write it down. Start there. Cool? Is that a good starting place? We'll talk about that later. Um, then Jesus said, verse 5 to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are already in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So Jesus tells a parable of how we ought to pray. And the parable, as the listener, is that we are to be like the host or the person running over to our friend's house asking for three loaves of bread. Now, it's hard for us to imagine what this is like in, in, in our context because in our context, we would never in the middle of the night go over to someone's house asking for three loaves of bread. Now, just so you can get kind of a custom of what Jesus is saying uh, in the ancient culture, uh, uh, first of all, uh, it was very common for people to travel when it, the sun went down, and they would travel through the night, so it was very common for them to arrive at midnight or late at night. Um, it's also very common, or what was the custom, they had rules of hospitality. And if you had a guest show up, he wasn't just a guest for your house, he was a guest for the whole village. Okay? And to honor him, you had to give him a meal. And, and, and a broken loaf of bread or a roll was an insult. And if the guest didn't eat whatever you offered, that too was an insult. So the tradition was three loaves of bread or three rolls, that was what you would have in one meal. So when the friend goes over to, uh, I'm sorry, the host goes over to his friend's house, he was just fulfilling what you would normally do in their custom. There's nothing strange about a friend going to a friend's house in the middle of the night in order to fulfill the duty that was a custom. Okay? Nothing strange about this story until we get to the friend's response. Okay, that's the only thing that doesn't fit. So Jesus tells the story. People are on board with it, and they recognize he's just fulfilling his, his duty, and he wants to honor his guest. Um, but this is, the, this is what's very strange. Nobody in a million years in the first century would respond, if they were a friend, like this. He says, uh, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are already in bed. I can't get up and give this to you. Nobody in a million years in that culture would do that. They didn't, first of all, they didn't value their their kids, like we value our kids. Um, so I- imagine like a one-bedroom house where the door's locked and everyone sleeps on the floor. Um, that's how it is across the world. They wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't mind bothering their kids. This type of response, nobody would do this in the first century. And we still don't get it because we don't live in that culture. So the best way I could describe it is with a sense of urgency. It would be like in Western context, um, it would be like a friend calling a friend in the middle of the night and saying, my wife is in labor, um, I need to drive her to the hospital, but my car won't start. If you have a friend that says, sorry, I left the, ki- the keys in the kids' room and they're asleep and I don't want to wake them up, that would be ridiculous. Would you agree? 
even if you went next door to a neighbor that you don't even know, they would most likely lend you their keys and say, okay, bring it back when you're done. There's a sense of like, are you kidding me? And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate. And the point is that Jesus says, if a friend at midnight won't give you bread because of your friendship, he will because of your persistent request. So he says, if he's not going to respond out of duty as a friend, because you're basically annoying him, because you're persistent in your request, because of your shameless audacity, uh, that's better translated, shamelessness. Because you just, you know what you have to do. He's going to answer your request. And so, because we know that God's Father, clearly he's, he's not a reluctant friend that refuses what everyone else would normally do. Are you with me? And it goes to the next one. I guess this is where we're going. So shameless audacity, that has something to do with prayer. So prayer is, do we have a slide? What's next? Prayer is about persistence. Um, prayer is about learning to be persistent for the things. And prayer is about being trained in our asking. Prayer is about being trained in our asking. Let's look at the next verse. It says, So I say to you, Jesus says to us, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You guys want to learn how to pray? Keep on praying. You want to see God move? Keep asking Him to move. You want to see healing and restoration? Keep on asking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking on those doors. Don't give up. Shameless audacity. Persistence. Jesus wants to train us in our asking. Jesus, you know, it's so frustrating, and I believe what Jesus says in the Scripture. He says that we are to ask whatever we wish in His name, and it will be given to us. How many of you learned really early that that is not true? I want that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Please, God. Bring fire on my brothers for picking on me. (laughs) Or whatever it is. God, give me that one girl. I really want to date this chick. She's so hot. She's the one. And she's not the one. Um, We learn very quickly that, that prayers aren't answered the way we want it all the time. And like I said, I don't have an answer for that. (laughs) But Jesus teaches us to keep on asking. Because in our asking, we are trained to ask the things that Jesus would ask for. I believe it is true, what Jesus says, that we can be trained to become the kinds of persons, the kind of people that can ask whatever we wish in his name and it will be granted to us. I believe Jesus wants to empower us and teach us to only do what the Father is doing. I truly believe with all my heart that we can be trained to walk down to the 7-Eleven and see a guy asking in a wheelchair for money. And if God says to, we could say, I don't have money unless we do, um, but what I do have I give freely in the name of Jesus, walk. I believe we have that power. But I also believe it takes training. And it takes persistence to learn to do what Jesus did. You don't just give somebody a car keys and say, go, go drive. You teach them, right? You teach them how to use power. You, you grow them up in the way that power is for. And Jesus wants to train us as people of power. And that all starts with our, our way, the way we pray. Are you with me? All right. Um, what was the next slide? Okay. So he ends it with this, this teaching, and I'm going to wrap up. I'm 
doing great. I have a clock back there now, so I know how long I'm going over. Um, <laughs> last week, I told Billy he only has 30 minutes because I used 20 more of his minutes on the previous sermon. So, um, and he did a good job. Which of you fathers, if your sons ask for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So Jesus here teaches us again how we ought to pray. And I already mentioned this, but take the greatest human love relationship you've ever experienced in your life. Think of that person. Multiply that by infinity. And now open yourself up to that kind of God when you pray. How might he respond to you in your asking, seeking, and knocking? And so many of us, I truly believe, we worship pagan gods. And we disguise them as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I don't mean we're polytheists. I don't mean we're worshiping the wrong God. I mean our, our view of God is totally skewed. Most of the people I come in contact with do not have a loving experience with God. They believe God's holding out, that God's angry. That God's waiting for them to mess up. That God's uninterested in their details of their life. But Jesus doesn't teach us this, does he? He says, if you know, you who are evil, you, the generation that shouldn't get this, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you good gifts? And the greatest gift being his presence. And that's what he's saying. The Father knows how to give you good gifts. But his greatest gift is his Holy Spirit. So many of us don't know how to pray to the God who is the loving Father. And Jesus fundamentally teaches us to be open. So the question I have, just as we come to conclusion, conclusion, is what is God inviting you to pray for? How is God inviting you to pray? If you're a follower of Jesus, we pray. And I know we're so busy. We're, we're in a hurry. We, like I, I, I kind of felt bad the other day when I was talking all this trash on the Jesus Calling book. Um, I, don't, I have nothing against the Jesus Calling book. But what, I have, what I'm against is that followers of Jesus don't actually open up the Word. We don't actually open up the Book of Life regularly. We don't lead our, our own lives through the Scriptures, through devotion, through prayer life. We don't lead our families by opening up Scripture together, by praying together. We don't, we don't know how to do that. And, uh, and I, just, I think for many of us, I, the invitation is just to begin a prayer life, to begin praying, to open ourselves to the God who loves and beginning to pray. And, and if this is on your heart this morning, I say, so let's begin with a little discipline. Let's begin by getting a journal that we're going to write in every day, okay? And as things come up, let's continue to ask and let's seek and let's knock. Um, are there areas in your life that God is wanting to partner with you in being transformed? I mean, think, I think about this all the time. There are so many areas in my life I need God to help me be changed. I, I need God to come in and, and radically transform the character that chooses anger as the natural response to anything that goes wrong, whether it's my child in the hospital or the guy that cuts me off on the road or the fact that my coffee took a little longer this time or my wife wants me to hang something up because it's not dark enough in the back room for when Ezra's sleeping. This is just in case he does, she does that. It's not that she does. No, she did that yesterday. But I, anger is my natural response. I don't know why. I don't know why. 
So I come to God and say, God, would you help me? And you know what's funny, too? Uh, this is just me being really open. I, I think it's a real discipline to actually love people. I do not love well. I may, like, it may be a really cool disguise here because um, I'm practicing when I'm preaching here, but um, it is hard. It's hard to love well, especially when you're going through something, right? Like, it's just, it's not. So my prayer <laughs> is as, like, elementary as God, help me to love people. <laughs> like, I'm praying that maybe 20 years from now it will be better. Help me to love strangers like you did, or just, like, be kind. God, help me be kind because I'm not naturally kind. That's how you start in prayer. Just tell him what it is. Start talking to him. So may I invite you to begin to pray to God. So prayer is about relationship. You have nothing to be afraid of. Prayer is about conversation. It's about partnering with God in the work he has for you. Prayer is also how things get done in the kingdom. This is how we get stuff done. We're so busy we don't pray. What do you mean? Pray so stuff happens. You want to see life, stuff happen in your life? Start praying more. It's true. I mean, absolute truth. You'll become more effective in every aspect of your life if you begin to pray. So I want to end with this conversation. God knows how to give good gifts to his kids. And the greatest gift is the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants us to become, become the kind of person that can ask for whatever we wish and it will be done for us in his name. This invitation is to become the kind of person that actively participates and creates through the power of the Holy Spirit justice, peace, wholeness, healing, resurrection life here and now, wherever we go. He wants to resource us with the power of heaven at our fingertips. Jesus wants to become the kind of people that are resourced with the power of the kingdom in our everyday, ordinary life. In the book of Acts, we see that, that a powerless community is filled with the Holy Spirit, and they witness the power of the kingdom of God everywhere they go. It happens because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. We do not have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I know our community groups have been discussing this as I've been talking the last week, few weeks about healing and prayer and the power of God. And, and even as I'm talking, some of you come from a background where you, maybe you've seen the Holy Spirit in churches abused. I grew up where I never saw it. I believe that the, the Holy Spirit gifts for today weren't for today. Because I was so afraid. And then when I started to, to kind of believe this stuff, I became so terrified. But the Heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts to His children. The Holy Spirit is a gift for you. It, the Holy Spirit's not just about power. It's about life. It's about peace. It's about, if you want to do what Jesus did, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul will say, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit every time you come to church. Ask that God would fill you with the Spirit. Every time you wake up, ask that God would fill you with the Spirit. When you're driving in the car, ask God would fill you with the Spirit. It's only through the presence of God that you'll have power for life. But we're so afraid. And because of that fear, we are powerless in our lives. How many of us have baptized people in this last year? How many of us have disciples? How many of us have longed to see God move in friends' lives that will come to know Jesus in the last year? How many of us continue to ask and seek and knock for them? you want to learn how to have power in your life, ask for it. Seek it out and knock. But most importantly, get filled with the Holy Spirit.
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will do stuff. <laughs> no joke. So I want to invite you to get filled. I'm tired of just bantering around it. I'm going to keep pressing in on this as long as I live. You know why? Because when people are filled with the Spirit and they get it, they're unstoppable. They will go to the nations thinking that they can actually disciple nations. They will... I just heard this story yesterday from Brooke. She works here. One of her friends who she lived with in Uganda wasn't a Christian when she was there. Um, She got sick and had to move back to Virginia. And she was so sick from some disease that doctors couldn't identify. Uh, She was paralyzed from the neck down. She's a 20-something, and they were preparing her to die. And someone heard about this in Reading, called her, and within two days she was healed completely. And she became a Christian because of that. And we're shocked, right? Holy, wow, somebody became Christian because they called from Reading to Virginia and she was healed of a, a disease that paralyzed her. That can't be true. That's exactly how it happened in the Bible without the, the phone call. <laughs> you guys can do it. Don't you want to do it? I mean, don't you want to pray for marriages to be restored and see it come to fruition? Don't you want to say to people that desperately need hope in their life, there is a hope, and his name is hope, his name is Jesus, and see that come to reality? Next time we do an altar call, I don't feel bad that just one person got baptized. We celebrate that. We should see hundreds of baptisms. Less than 10% of Long Beach goes to church. It's not on me to get better at preaching. It's on us to be filled with the Spirit. (laughs) Right? Ah. We're so focused on what we call Project Self. We're so focused on our lives. Our lives are so full of our lives. (laughs) And Jesus wants us to do what he did. But how can we do what he did when all we're focused on is ourselves? Open your heads. Lift up your heads. Be filled with God and do what he did. How do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we experience the Holy Spirit? I think this, is, this passage teaches us. Open yourself up to a loving God. He's loving. Ask, seek, knock. Keep on asking, seeking, knocking. Wait. When it doesn't happen, when you don't experience God, just come back next week and wait. Go home on Monday and pray. When I experienced God for the first time, I was by myself writing a paper at college at 11 o'clock at night walking from the the computer lab to the mailroom. God filled me with the Spirit. I spoke in tongues for the first time. I didn't believe it was tongues because I didn't believe in tongues. I thought it was gibberish. I called my my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I said, hey, you know, what's going on? And she's like, well, she didn't believe in it either. She had no idea. She was like, she was scared. She's like, well, if it's from God, he'll confirm it. I was like, yeah, that's probably true. It says that in Scripture. It doesn't say that in Scripture. Um, <laughs> and uh, her roommate, who was a crazy charismatic, that's how I, I, I put her in that category. She was nuts. Was, was living in New Jersey or visiting New Jersey, called out of a dream three hours ahead and said, call your boyfriend, Darren, because he just got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. You need to confirm it. That was my introduction. Some of us need that type of awakening because we're so stubborn. All you have to do is come forward and get prayer. All right, let's pray. I love that some of you are standing. Oh, the worship band's standing. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, you guys are good. (laughs) Oh.
wish I went over. I just don't. It's our last gathering together as one family, so I wanted to go over because um, we're going to have two services next week. I'll be here preaching then. I'm going to. I think I'm going to talk on worry and anxiety next week because that's a theme in the scriptures. Um, I really want our church to be full of the Spirit of God. And that doesn't mean some charismatic experience on Sunday. It means us really going for it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all day until Sunday. It means us really seeking God together. And I think there's a season coming where there's going to be great growth and great power. And that's scary because I never thought our church would grow over 100. (laughs) And I never thought I would see what I see, but God keeps doing this. So we just want to be obedient to that. But I want to invite you to be courageous. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.